Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. We've got a great show for you this week. We're going to be looking at a number of different things. We're going to talk about the Quest 2 and some of the new features that have come out from that. We're continuing to review on a great VR option, but it does have some limitations, and we'll get into a little bit more depth on all of that. Got some other great things coming up for you this week. Want to invite you to check out our Tech Wednesday blog at theanswerportland.com talking about smart lights this week. A lot of new technology for the holiday season and some fun things that you can do. Send us your questions and your comments, one user friendly on Facebook and Twitter, or give us a call at 503-766-6264. What we do is we get your requests, whether it's online or on the phone. On the phone, you leave a message, and then we get back in touch with you to find out the details. You want to come on the air, you're welcome to do that. If you don't, that's fine too. But we will answer your questions and at least attempt to do that. Other section coming up today is based on that, talking about production of media, how we put the show together, all that type of thing. We went into some very basics on that last week and had a lot of interest. So we're going to be picking up a number of your questions on that later in the show, but continue to send those in as well. Today's news is brought to you by the Be Local, Buy Local Holiday Shopping Campaign sponsored by the Sherwood Chamber of Commerce and Metropolitan Land Group. Save up to 20% on gift cards and support local businesses impacted by the pandemic. Go to SherwoodChamber.org for more information. So what's in the news this week? U.S. Treasury hacked. That sounds really bad. That sounds really bad. And it's not just the Treasury. It's a number of government agencies. They're thinking that it's the Russians. And I know there's been a lot of conspiracy theory about that, but it's looking like this probably really is the Russians that did it. It's a months-long global cyber espionage campaign that was just revealed last Sunday. And the Mm -hmm. firm that runs this one of them called FireEye, they had gotten hacked right before it. And then they found all this stuff in the different departments like the Treasury. And the big problem with this kind of thing is malware. So they've caught the hack. They've locked it out, hopefully. Uh, one of the things that I thought was a little bit interesting is on the original uh, Associated Press press release on this, they had a picture, and in the background was the whiteboard with a complete map of all of the security infrastructure for the Treasury. Um, so it's like, you know, we, we got to be serious about these things and lock it down. But the other part is, is now that they've gotten into the system, even once they lock it up and get everything secured again, they're going to have an enormous project going through and seeing if there's malware and if there is getting rid of it and even being able to find stuff like that. So this kind of a thing is a big deal, not something you want and kind of scary that it even happened. U.S. physicists want to build a fusion power plant. Yeah, Jeremy, this is a topic you found, and I think this is kind of cool. Well, yeah, I mean, I I thought it was a good idea, but I mean, a whole bunch of physicists want a fusion power plant. Like, Well, I want a fusion power plant. So what this is, is they've talked about fusion for a long time and now. This would be a very good source of energy that could potentially replace nuclear and a lot of the coal and carbon stuff that we've been using. And if they were able to pull this off, what's called cool fusion, fusion's what's used in the sun, how that works, but that's a little hot to have within your atmosphere. So cool fusion that would be able to produce energy and be able to produce a lot of energy without having a lot of the side effects. So they've been talked about this. Supposedly, somebody was able to achieve fusion back, and I believe it was 2012, but they weren't able to repeat the experiment. And one of the things about the scientific method is you have to be able to repeat it. It can't just happen once. Plus, you'd have to do that anyway to be able to use it. 
So there's a team of people now focused on this, a team of U.S. physicists, that is considered very ambitious, but they're hoping to be able to have this in some workable format in the next 10 years. And if they could, it really would have the potential of changing things for the better because, again, it would help with the carbon emissions from everything. We could reduce that a lot, and it would be a way to handle it without the threat of a nuclear meltdown, which is, of course, always a bad thing, too. So, you know, new technology and moving ahead, and I hope they're successful at it, and I'm going to be watching this because I find it interesting. But I think it's something that, if it could happen, would be really beneficial. So in a nutshell, could you quickly explain the difference between fusion and fission? Because I think people get those things confused. You know what I'm going to do? This is a kind of a hard question to answer in 10 seconds. So watch for our Tech Wednesday blog. We'll do this first part of next year and kind of dive into some detail on it. Okay. Google went down worldwide. Yeah, that's a little scary, too. This happened last Monday, yeah. and it was for about an hour. It took out Gmail, YouTube, uh, the Google search, all of that kind of thing. I'm only aware of Google ever having downtime once before. And when it did, internet traffic dropped 84%. This was a couple of years ago because the search engine didn't work for a little while. And this one was a pretty major drop, especially for Google, because they've got a good track record. Everybody was getting an error message. Oops, the system encountered a problem. We retrying, and that's where it would stop. Uh, YouTube gave them a cartoon image of a monkey simply saying something went wrong. But the bottom line of it is, is we still don't know exactly why it went down. And they haven't disclosed that yet, but it definitely did. And you really don't want this. A lot of different companies, us included, depend on Google for our email and a variety of other things as a worldwide provider. But again, they've got a pretty strong track record. So it'll be interesting to see what actually happened and what caused this type of a situation. And if we know by the time we air, we'll go ahead and throw it out on our social media, let everybody know what happened. European antitrust regulators review requirement to have Facebook account to use Oculus Quest 2. Yeah, now, Bill, I know you're really in favor of the accounts being locked together. Ah, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> I, I, I do not like this just because of the situation. Yeah, I, I wanted a separate account. <laughs> no, I feel yeah, the same I think way. That we're, would gonna, be better too. we're actually going to dive into this in a lot more depth in the next segment. We're going to talk about the Quest and uh, some other things and some questions that have come in. But this is one thing that I know we asked when we first reviewed it is, is it okay to have that type of a thing? Because you're buying a piece of equipment that you've paid for. Uh, these run about $400. So it's, you know, it's a little more than a coffee at Starbucks. And you have to tie it to your Facebook account, which can be subjectively blocked. If you post something that somebody doesn't like, that can happen. There's all kinds of reasons. And then at the end of the day, you would not be able to use the piece of equipment that you purchased. And the Germans uh, in the European Union in general, but it's in Germany where the thing was filed, consider this to be a violation of antitrust. And right now, there's a lot of looking at antitrust violations in the big tech companies where they're trying to, trying to tie all this up together. And just as a subnote on this, 48 state attorney generals in the United States have recently filed an antitrust suit against Facebook basically because they own Instagram, WhatsApp. This is another part of it with the Oculus Quest. So it is definitely something that's being investigated by law enforcement. I know personally, I would prefer to be able to have them as two different things. I don't mind necessarily that Facebook owns Oculus, but I don't want to be forced to have a Facebook account to use the Oculus. That's just my feeling on it. I, I mean, agree. I'm fine linking them, but yeah, no. If you choose to do it, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. But what they've done I mean, is like, they've taken that choice away from you. 
Because I mean, like Sony, you can have a PlayStation Plus account and it can get banned, but you still have a PS4 and the local account to play things on. Right. The unit doesn't shut down and not work at all. Exactly. Yeah, that seems kind of weird. And, you know, that's where this could go with the Quest. Sodium ion batteries announced. What does that mean? Okay. Batteries are a big deal. And we have been seeing this with uh, cars, the electric cars and all that type of thing. Right now, the bigger stuff is using something called lithium batteries and mm-hmm. or lithium ion batteries. And the work quite well. I mean, you charge them. You can have a car that runs three, 400 miles based on it and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, the elements, specifically lithium, to be able to build the batteries is something that's in short supply. It's only produced in a few spots around the world. And at some point, it's a rare earth element that we will no longer have access to or that will become harder and harder to find. So the technology goes on for researching how to build better batteries. Because the other side of this, too, is everything we have uses batteries. And we're seeing this completely across the board. So this new kind of battery, sodium ion, um, it's a hard carbon material that's used within these that will actually replace the need for lithium in batteries. And they're having some good luck with them that, number one, they're cost-effective to build, and the materials to make them out with are plentiful, and you can recycle them a lot easier at the end of the day. So you're dealing with this from both sides of the fence. And energy is a big deal. We talked about uh, fission and fusion and all that a little bit earlier, and the same thing with our batteries and that type of thing. And we're just going to see this need to be built more and more. And as they can improve the technology and move forward, it's going to be very beneficial across the board for everything that runs on these type of things. This week's show is sponsored by We Are Technology. We Are Technology is your one-stop shop for application development. In this day and age with COVID, with many of our businesses having to move online, we can help you with that in a cost-effective way. Get your clients something to do through your website. Increase their experience. Put together a phone app. Get your website to accept payments or come up with something new. Give us a call. WeAreTechnology.com. This is User Friendly 2.0. We've got a great show for you this week. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. It's the holiday season, and we've got two new gaming consoles out there, a new PlayStation and a new Xbox. But if you're like me, like us, you probably can't get one. So there's some other options out there, and one of the systems that we were looking at is a new VR headset called the Quest 2, the Oculus Quest 2. And this is something that we got a number of weeks ago. We've had a little time to play with it now. And uh, Bill, I'm going to start with you. What do you think of it? I enjoy it. I feel like I really want to try some of the high-end ones that are coming out because, you know, the Quest 2 is only a few hundred dollars versus the ones I want to try, which are a few thousand. Um, My only real complaint so far has been that the game library is small, uh, some of the graphical issues with the Quest, but, you know, it's a lot better than the previous ones. And finding people on multiplayer games has just been really challenging. Yeah, we've run into it. It's probably because it's so new. There aren't a lot of people out there yet. And one of the things that you brought up is the price difference on these things, because that was and still is a barrier to entry for VR. And this headset, they run $299 suggested retail price for the one with less memory, 
and $399 for the one with more. And if you can afford the extra 100 bucks, I would say go for it. It's like having a bigger hard drive built into it. And one of the cool features about this is, is you don't have to have a tether. So you can download the software you want to use, whether it be videos or games or whatever, into the unit itself. But more is definitely better on the memory. And it does have an option where you can still plug it into a computer and be able to run it that way if you have a VR-ready laptop or desktop. But that is where Bill was talking about with the several thousand dollars. And Bill, I know also there are VR headsets that are in that price range too. That's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. So you uh, like I think the uh, the Steam one is like two grand. Yep. Yeah. H- wow. HTC has one that's is, it's about a thousand dollars, and even the one for the PlayStation Four uh, is is expensive. And that's one other thing to consider too is technically speaking, the PS4 one. This is a question we get a lot. Will be compatible with the new PlayStation Five, but the cameras are not. So it's like part of it you will be able to use, but another part of it you'll have to replace. Um, Gretchen, I know one of the concerns that you had voiced on this was that of weight or pressure from the headset. What have you found with that? Well, um, I have a lot of allergies. And, um, so if I wear the hell, um, the headset more than 30 minutes, I start to get a really serious headache. Okay. And so, um, I have to limit myself to, um, playing for like 30 minutes. Now I've been lucky about finding other people to play um, Beat Saber with. There's like a um, just, you know, a random chance to see if you can find somebody. And I have had pretty good luck in finding random people who will show up and play the game at the same time. And And that's been fun. Beat Saber is one of my favorites, too. It's this game that's kind of like a, a sort of a take on Guitar Hero, but you have lightsabers and you're to the music, chopping through all these things, and it's good exercise as well. Oh, yeah. Yes, it is. And, and some uh, of the music is really fun. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and now this is one of the things, too, to be aware of with it, is you can't share software. One of the things we ran into is we both had to buy Beat Saber, all of us, uh, independently, and then it has music packs where you can extend the song library, but unless everybody that's on the multiplayer mode has the extended song library, it won't work. So, yeah, I got kicked out of one of these group games because somebody had picked something that um, I didn't have. Yeah. So I got kicked out of the game. So I was like, oh. And I, I've, I've noticed that too. But it's kind of cool. It's very easy to spend money on these as well. And uh, after you buy it, I know when I was playing with it for the first night, I ended up running up over $100 to my credit card. Just Oh, my. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's definitely something you want to watch watch for. Now, Jeremy, I know that you've had some issues with video games. I also remember yes. at a VR conference a couple of years ago, you trying something out and falling over, which I can't pick at you too much for that because I had the same thing happen with my roller coaster game a little while ago. But what do you, uh, what, have you been able to use it? I mean, are you having problems with motion sickness? Uh, it's It starts to cause a, uh, a mild headache, like uh, like a migraine, after about 25 to 30 minutes. So it's not that big of a deal as long as I'm not doing a lot of running around, but playing Beat Saber for half an hour is a whole lot of fun. Um, I haven't tried too many other things. It's like some of the cute, you know, little uh, samples that they have for like stuff. the training games. The training games and Those other fun, fun things like that. We have, I haven't gotten too much into it, but I've really enjoyed the Beat Saber. I've enjoyed all the other stuff that we were playing. Um, I'm, you know, interested in getting a few other things to see, like maybe Vader Immortal yeah. and to see how that works. Because I'm not sure if that's a game or a show you're watching. Yeah, or if you're I'm interactive. not sure what it is either. <laughs> so I think that'd be really cool to try out. 
Oh, okay. It's a three-part game series. Cool. Same with uh, Star Wars Squadrons. Yeah, that might be another fun one to try. Now, the other they're talking is- about motion sickness. Is that uh, I actually watched like a, a somebody's video that they made of them jumping out of a plane wearing those wingsuit. wingsuit. Now, in the plane, the person's moving around all erratically. I thought I was going to get sick. And so once he jumped out of the plane and was flying, that was fine. That didn't bother me at all. As a matter of fact, I felt relieved. And then when he finally land, then he started uh, doing that um, erratic motion with his head, which caused the filming to be very bad. And so I'm, I, I almost had to like rip the thing off my head because <laughs> I was feeling really nauseated. And remember, you can take the headset off if you have that happen. That is a, definitely an option. I ran into this. There's a playable demo on Steam of a Spider-Man game where you're firing your web and going up 100 floors and down 100 floors and all this kind of stuff. And I had the same type of thing where I was getting a little bit of motion sickness. We've got about a minute to go. So, Bill, I'm going to ask you first, do you recommend this system to anybody interested in VR? I feel like it's a good intro into VR. You know, you don't have to spend huge amounts, but I mean, it is, of course, not, you know, it's the same as buying a PS4 or something newer. Yeah, about that price point. And again, you got to figure software for it. So it's not just the price of the unit, but whatever you want to put on it. Um, Gretchen, what, what do you think? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's it, it's good fun. It's a good way to start this. So, Jeremy, with the motion sickness, do you still use it? Yes, I, I still use it. I would still recommend it because it's a good system. It works really well. And, you know, me having motion sickness has nothing to do with anybody else's enjoyment of the game. So, yeah. And there is stuff out there you can get that you're exactly. still able to use it with that. So we'll continue to cover it. And we're going to cover some of the software for it next year. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. This is the part of the show where you ask questions and we attempt to give you answers. And how do you submit your questions? couple of ways to do it. Social media, one user-friendly on Facebook and Twitter, on our website at userfriendlynation.com, or by phone, 503-766-6264. What are our questions? What is our first question? Let's start at the beginning, shall we? What is an Androbot? Yeah, interesting question, and this goes back to the early 1980s. And what this is, is a device that was made by the founders of Atari, if you remember back to the video game company in that era, of what they were trying to do was produce little robot servants, uh, would be the best way to put it, that would run around the house, kind of almost like a droid from Star Wars in a way. They looked like a little machine, and uh, they were actually building devices where they were able to go to a refrigerator and get you a soda or a beer and bring it over and that type of thing. And there were actually two different versions of this that came out on the market. At the time, the first one, the lower one, was $800, which in 1980 was a lot of money. Still Mm -hmm. is today, but then was really a lot of money. And a second one that was a bigger version of it, the first one ran off of the Apple IIe, so it was basically limited to what you could do with that computer. The second one had two processors built into it, so it was a very early version of something that could think for itself. I'm not sure if we'd go as far as AI, but it did have a lot of the routines and the functions and that type of a thing built into it. You can still find them online. They go for a lot of money. I saw one on eBay the other day for $15,000. They were made in limited quantities. But definitely something that's very unique and was an era that never quite got off the ground 
but was a lot of fun, you know, to see how they started it. What is a microtransaction in a game? My son has run up over $2,000 in charges in one month with these. Yeah, and before we get into the uh, that, how bad that would be, and it was charged to our listener's cell phone, by the way. Bill, why don't you tell us what a microtransaction is? Well, a microtransaction has become a trend in gaming. It started a lot with the mobile gaming market in which you probably have gotten a game. I can't think of any, but a lot of the uh, oh, Candy Crush and such, I think, believe that I had them, where the game says, okay, well, you're out of energy or something for today. Would you like to spend money so you can keep playing? And this started with free games. It has, of course, expanded into games that you've paid for, predominantly, most notably, reasons why the uh, EU and such has actually gone to court on these situations is microtransactions with loot box mechanics, which has affected things like Electronic Arts, some of the Blizzard Activision games, things like that. So it has moved into current games and such that are existing. Uh, big one that just came out recently, Genshin Impact, has a lot of microtransactions for loot boxes. I know, and the- you know, I've got to be honest. The guy for two thousand bucks, he got it off easy. One guy got his bill. I got a bill. His kid had run up fifty grand oh, for a digital sports soccer team for uh, an EA game. I can't remember the actual one. <laughs> yeah, FISA twenty twenty. But yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. yeah, you know these type of situations, and there's no block on it. I know that one of the issues with this too from. Uh, Star Wars Battlefront this came from is that it ended up being considered a form of gambling because it was like you couldn't buy the item directly. You got a chance to win it, and that cost money, but it was a less than 1% chance of actually getting what you wanted. And um, I know they stopped doing them for a while in Battlefront because of this. I don't know where it's at now, but this type of thing is something to be cautious of. And get into your Play Store or your iPhone settings and turn off the ability to charge to the phone because i can only imagine when he opened that phone bill and um actually i think he said it was an auto pay so it hit his bank account just on the fly is what happened yep is there a smart holiday tree on the market that's any good there is a tree that i kind of like and it's called mr christmas and it's an alexa tree smart tree that you can actually go in and set everything up and set the lights and all the rest of that stuff. There's even a twinkle mode. You can color control each bulb. So it may be a little over the top, but it sounds like something that would be a lot of fun. Retails for about $250. They also make smart light strands. And one of the features about that that I thought was kind of cool is you can take a picture with your cell phone of the strand after you have it set up, and then from the picture, be able to set the colors and modes of the lights. So it's actually smart enough to figure out what bulb is where from a photograph, and then you can tap on them and actually go through and set all that up. There's a lot of smart devices out there for the holidays now. We talk a little bit about this on our Tech Wednesday blog this week. There are scent devices so you can make your house smell good from a smart device, audio, ways to play holiday music, all that kind of stuff, and all of that can be set up. And if you like these type of things, it's actually something kind of fun to be able to sit down and do. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break.
Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. We're actually going to be doing a little bit of a follow-up to a segment we had last week with a number of listener questions that came in, and that was on the piece on producing the show. And there's been a lot of interest in this, and I think a lot of folk are looking to do podcasts and radio shows and television shows too, for that matter. And with uh, next year coming up and hopefully us being able to be out a little bit more, it's an opportunity to do some of these things. But you can start, at least on podcasts and radio shows, from your own setup in your own home. Because we've been recording remotely now since March, and it, it works just fine. So what are some of the questions we had? Our first one is, how did you get started doing a show on air? Yeah, this was kind of a funny thing. So wh- where we started, uh, and actually it was more where I started, I was a member of this business networking group. And this was back in 2014 when Google Glass had come out. And for anybody that's not familiar with that, it was a set of eyewear that had video cameras and a HUD display and all this kind of stuff in built into it. Kind of a cool idea. But there was a rumor of a problem with it where it actually burned into your retina and they never quite got to market with them. They were also like $4,000. But anyway, in Nevada, I got on the air to talk about the potential cheating that this could create in casinos. And that's where we started. And then after that, someone came up with the idea for doing a tech show. We were originally on in a 30-minute format in the Reno market and kind of went from there. Do you recommend broadcast media or podcasting to start? This is a very subjective question. Broadcast media is actually, I think, my preference. I really love doing radio. However, podcasting is very relevant and a little bit easier to get into because broadcast media, you have to find a station that will take your show and a way to be able to put it out there. You also have to meet time constraints for commercials, something, Bill, I know you know all about with uh, editing. Um, <laughs> working Aren't around- there like professional standards, too, that you have to follow with the broadcast media or the podcasting? There's a little more freedom of, let's say, vocabulary. Yeah, well, and let's oh, actually yeah. say that all the way around, because that's something for parents to be concerned about. On-air requires what they call radio-friendly. We're radio-friendly. There's a set of words you don't say. And that type of a thing. And I just find it easier to do it that way. So our podcast is the same thing. But if you're only producing to the internet, there's no regulations like that at all. How do you get guests? That is a good question. (laughs) (laughs) And it seems like there's a variety of different ways that this works. We, as a show, and other shows do these differently. But for us, uh, our guests are not paid. So anybody that's on, we want to have a legitimate opinion and, you know, not really the idea of having to promote some given topic because that person's a sponsor or that type of a thing. So everybody that's on is on because they want to be there. I mean, of course, they talk about whatever it is that they're interested in, what the topic of the day is. But there's a lot of different ways to do this. And one of the ways that really works is simply inviting people. And I found that there's a lot of different things, like we had a congressman on earlier in the year talking about robocalls and Everybody said this individual, you can't get him. He doesn't do radio, blah, blah, blah. And we reached out and said, hey, can we talk about robocalls? And he said, sure. And he came on the show the next week. So, you know, from that type of a standpoint. <laughs> you seem to have better luck than I do. We were at a Comic-Con and I was trying to get people, just attendees to, you know, give their opinions. They they were running away from me. Well, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, that's interesting. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I was wearing a scary costume or not, but, um, you know. <laughs> I mean, for me, it was fine. I just walk up and ask them, and they're like, yeah, sure, here, have it. <laughs> you know, I, I've had both. And that's another thing about, you know, I wasn't really thinking about that because it's been so long since we've been to a convention. But we carry pocket recorders 
and equipment like that with us. And we just ask for interviews. And like Gretchen's saying, not everybody wants to, and that's totally fine. I know, Jeremy, you had a, a problem with that with someone that was uh, hosting an, an attraction. It's like, I just don't want to be on the air. Okay. But then the yeah. other half of them love it. And uh, you get some really good interviews on some really cool and unique things that way. And again, it's just a matter of asking. And don't be offended. There's a lot of people that don't want to be on media because they're nervous about it or whatever reason or work for a company that uh, that they can't do it. I felt bad. Again, going back to my first show, the other person that was on with me worked for a casino. And you could tell that that casino had given him like two lines that he was actually allowed to say on the air. But yeah. they interviewed him for four minutes. So he just ended up having to repeat the same thing over and over again. And it wasn't like he didn't know how to answer, but he was restricted on what he could do. And I know that would make me nervous. Yeah. And I think people are afraid they don't want to be made fun of or something. Our next, next question is, does it take a lot of equipment to record? Uh, not really. Bill, you're our editor. What equipment do you need to be able to edit? I mean, if you're just starting out and it's just you, maybe one other person, you need a mic, you need a computer, free software like Audacity. You can pull off pretty good podcasts that way. Yeah, and I found uh, you don't have to buy crazy stuff. Yeah. No, you can start out pretty cheap. Um, beyond that, though, then you can start getting into some price, though. Yep. And if you do spend money, the first thing I would recommend is the microphone. Get a good mic. That does make a huge difference. And then kind of step yourself up from there. But you don't need to buy commercial editing software, at least not initially. Audiosity, which Bill was just talking about, is a good one. Uh, we used that for a long time when we first started out, and it worked just fine. Do you also do television? Yeah, this is a question that we got quite a few times. I love radio. I've really enjoyed it. I have done some television. Uh, we are talking about the idea of a user-friendly show that may be a television-based version of it at some point. Uh, COVID kind of kiboshed that this year, but uh, it isn't something that's dead, but something that we're looking at. But I will tell you one thing. radio. It has a lot more ability to be able to sit down and kind of just do what you need to do and not have to worry about a lot. Television brings in the element of clothing, sets, all of that kind of stuff. Makeup. Makeup. Hair. Yep. Backdrops. And if you make a funny face, you know. <laughs> yeah, they will definitely get that on TV. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, there's a whole other element to it. The editing is a lot more complicated. I know that from that type of a standpoint, I think start out with your podcast. You can also do a video podcast if you want to take a shot at doing video before you get on the actual television. But uh, it is something that's fun and something that I've worked in it a little bit more outside of the user-friendly environment, but it is definitely something that might be fun to do someday. We'll see where we end up going with that. How do you sell commercials? Yeah, and this question, let me phrase this a little bit differently. How do you make money? Because that is an important thing to, to think yeah. about this. You know, we, we do this primarily and we have to because we enjoy doing it. But there is the side of getting sponsorship and all that kind of thing. And you do need yourself to be able to sell what you're doing or have a salesperson that can do it for you. The thing of it is, is on this is I know that when we go out, we can talk about our own show better than anybody else. And we have professional sales teams and that kind of thing from our radio station on down. And they do a great job. But the reality is, at the end of the day, it's we know what we are, and we can go out there, and we can you know talk to somebody and convince them to buy air. And it's something that a lot of people do enjoy, because it's a way to get their message out. And at the same token, you can actually make some money, or at least cover the production costs of your show. 
This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. Great last show of the year. You might ask yeah. the question, there's two more weeks to go. How could this be the last show of the year? We actually do have two more coming up, but we do clip shows, kind of revisit everything over the holidays. We've got some great interviews coming up for you, looking back at some things. We actually are going to go back and look at the one Comic-Con that we got to do this year, which was Wizard World Portland. <laughs> and the uh, one. Hopefully we'll pick back up with that. We'll see how that goes next year. One thing I did want to talk about, now I have not had a chance to follow up. I have been so busy this year, and I know I'm getting teased everywhere about this, but Jeremy and Gretchen, you guys have seen it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what's going on in the Mandalorian world? Oh, the Mandalorian, he's he's still on his adventure, and he's meeting new people. Oh, some of the new people he has met, well, just like... I don't know if we should do a spoiler or not. We should probably just say the word spoiler alert. Yeah, if you spoiler listen beyond alert. this, then yeah. you're in, okay. in for it. All right. Uh, Boba Fett shows up. Um, Fennec Ahsoka. Shand is not dead. Yeah, Fennec Shand is not dead. Um, Ahsoka shows up. And um, right now, let's see. We still have not seen the Friday. The final uh, episode. Yeah. Um, and the one before that. The Mandalorian throws Moff Gideon's words right back in his face, and it was like priceless. It was like, oh, <laughs> what do you? What were some things that caught your attention? Oh well, you know we've got the whole everybody's get, getting back together to team up to do this thing again, and you know everybody. The spoiler alert: the uh, Razor Crest is gone. Yeah. Oh so my God. there's that. Bo- but Boba Fett is back, and Boba Fett has a ship, and Boba Fett's armor is even more bad. <laughs> than it used to be it even though just, everybody's like he didn't used to be that bad like, but yeah, yeah he was. you have to read the comic books and the novels he had limited screen time in the in the movies but uh, aside from that he was a total badass, blowing up stuff left right and center now i've, so, heard, now, I've he, heard a couple of rumors on that boba fett showing back up i don't think is that much of a spoiler because he's been all in all of the previews so by now you would know that at least something's going on with him being there and yes. uh, now i have heard that a uh, rumor that neither Disney nor George Lucas wants to do a VR version of the Christmas special from 1978. So I don't think we're going to have that coming up. Um, I know that really disappoints you, Gretchen. Yeah, good. But But a lot of the new stuff that seriously is coming out, Disney's announced a lot of stuff for for next year, and it Mm -hmm. looks like most of it's going to be pretty good. So I I, I really hope that we're going to have a lot of fun with doing this. And by the time we come back next year, I promise I will have seen the last episodes that I have missed from Mandalorian. And, you know, one of the other things you can do, too, while we're on break and doing our clip shows is we have a flash briefing, and that will be new content through the end of the year. Add to your Amazon Alexa app. User-friendly 2.0 is a skill, and you can get our flash briefing. The other thing is is check out our Tech Wednesday blog at TheAnswerPortland.com. We talk about a lot of the news and different things that are going on in the world and upcoming stuff. Our latest one is on smart trees. goes into a lot more detail. So until next year... Until after our clip shows, this is User-Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User-Friendly 2.0 is copyright 2020, User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. The views and opinions expressed in this show are those of the host and not necessarily User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting provided by wearetechnology.com. Podcast available at theanswerportland.com or userfriendlyshow.com.